0: David Thompson flies in Scotland and is an avid fan of winter flying. He's won the Winter League in 2008 and 2009. If you've always thought that winter flying is pretty much the same as summer flying, just colder, think again. There's a number of factors which make it very different. David has spent some years observing these differences, and in this podcast he talks about the differences in meteorological conditions and how these affect flying in the winter months, as well as giving some tips on fun things to do. My first question for him was about how he defined winter, given that the vagrancies of the British summer sometimes make you wonder when winter actually starts and finishes.
1: Winter's officially from the 1st of November to the 28th of February because that's when, well, as of this year, the Winter Cross-Country League runs. And on a more physical note, it's pretty much the, the months when the sun is too low in the sky. The angle's too low to give consistent thermals from flat ground in Britain.
0: So why bother flying in winter?
1: Well, I think the main reason for flying during the winter is to maintain your currency. Currency's absolutely vital to your performance and it also is vital to how comfortable you are in the air. Which is a direct bearing on how safe you are, because the more comfortable you are in the air, the more relaxed your muscles are, and the better your active piloting skills are. So really, it it comes from all all three points of view, from safety, performance, and of course, it can be incredibly beautiful. So uh, it's, it's an enjoyable time to fly, and specifically competing in the Winter League. I think, is, is, value, is valuable because it gives you an incentive to set yourself tasks on any specific day to try and maximise your uh, your distance. And that means you need to be careful about watching the weather to choose the correct site and when you get there to plan your flight as to what you can do to, to maximise your distance. And, of course, that's all great preparation for uh, when the season itself the season proper starts in the spring so i I think i think winter flying is very valuable from all these points of view
0: so how would you say that winter flying is different from summer flying
1: the primary difference as i said about the sun the, the sun is so low in the sky that there's less energy reaching the ground so you don't, we well, don't not get thermals, there are thermals in the winter as well but the ratio of thermal lift to ridge lift which is something that we've, we've always got to be aware of when we're flying in winter is much more likely to be biased towards ridge lift as I say you, you do get thermals in winter but they're much more likely to occur on lee side slopes so, in general, if you want to travel any distance in the winter, it's almost certain that it's going to have to be ridge soaring instead of conventional thermal up to cloud going a glide-type cross-country flying. The obvious factor is that the temperature tends to be a lot lower. That, of course, means you need to wear extra clothes. But it's got one much more significant effect, and that is that the air can hold a lot less moisture but it's cold. So you're much more likely to get cloud. And that leads on to meaning that we're much more likely, if we are flying in winter, that it's it's likely to be in stable high pressure conditions. Because when it is low pressure conditions, when the air is all going up, it's much more likely to be cloudy and possibly even raining. So because high pressure conditions are more stable, it's much less likely that you're going to have a flow of air up the hill. So the kind of basic understanding of the wind that we get taught in club pilot really applies much less often. In winter days, we're much more likely to have wind that is blowing along the hill or, yeah, well, much less likely to be actually blowing up. Inversions again, a feature of high-pressure weather are much more likely to be a feature in winter Fine, The two types of inversion that we have, subsidence inversions caused by the air sinking within a high-pressure system, they're equally likely summer or winter, but ground inversions caused by overnight cooling of the ground, which causes a layer of air close to the ground to be cooled, and therefore ends up colder than the air above it. Yeah, ground inversions are much more significant in winter because in summertime they're normally gone by the time we start flying, but in winter they're commonly still present at the point when we're flying.
0: Can you just explain a little bit about the effect that a ground inversion has on your flying?
1: Yeah, it's got a number of effects. One of the most important is probably in terms of your judgment of the conditions because during the summer people get used to whatever it is, a tree outside their, their window or flags or they, they have got a kind of normal routine is to look out to see how windy it is, what the wind direction is obviously if you're below a ground inversion then the chances are that you're not you're not going to be seeing the actual met wind because it will more than likely be above the inversion layer So relying on your usual source is going to be much, much less effective in in the winter. When it actually comes to flying, the same thing happens if, if you've got a ground inversion that's, let's say, halfway up your normal hill, then it effectively halves the size of your hill because the bit below the ground inversion has no air flowing in it. And you well, know, your hill's exactly half the size it was, so it's only the top half of it's going to be soarable, if at all. Yeah, I mean, basically, basically, you can think of it as raising the ground to to whatever level the ground inversion happens to be, and of course that clears by the sun warming the ground and gradually warming up that area until it gets to be at least the same temperature as the air above, and and then. That allows things to, to mix, and well, that that's that's how your ground inversion goes away. But as I say, because the sun's less strong, that's, that uh, takes longer to happen, and is likely not to clear at all in the winter.
0: I've heard once, you know, years and years ago, about this theory that the air is denser in winter, so it either feels windier on the hill, and also it's you know um, it affects the lift in the sink.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, I, I've often thought about this, and I, I used to think density was the main factor, but I actually think it's, it's not that significant. I certainly agree, it, when, you, when you're standing on a hill, you do need to take into account the the temperature of the air. I mean, obviously, if it's really cold and windy, it feels windier than if it's really warm and windy. So judging judging the wind speed just by feeling it, it it's different. I don't know for a fact. It's just uh, it's just a feeling. I don't think density is actually that crucial. I think the most significant thing is stability in in terms of you know rate, rate of temperature with uh, with height. I think that's the big difference that, that people you know people often talk about. Oh, the air's dense, so it doesn't want to go up the hill. It's it's not really because it's because the air's more dense. It's because it's more stable. Because there's a layer of warmer air above the, above the colder air. So it, it has to warm up more in order to go up the hill. Or, or even not even to go up the hill because of, of, of thermals, even to, to go up the hill because the net wind's trying to blow it up the hill. You know, it still takes a lot of energy to get air to go up a hill. And if you've got cold air with warm air above it, it's going to be much, much easier for that air to flow round the side of the hill rather than up and over it you know yeah, but that again as i say is an effect of stability it's not really density mm-hmm. but i wouldn't argue that one i wouldn't that yeah the other the other big issue to do with winter flying is not to, so much to do with the weather but to do with the pilots that are flying and it works kind of both ways people get less flying in the winter because there's less flyable days so in some respects, people are really keen to get out when it is flyable. Other people are not that bothered about going flying in the winter. But for either, for either reason, it generally means that pilots have less current airtime. So when they actually are out, th- there's all the issues of, of people flying with, with lack of currency. And, you know, and of course, it's really vital to, for people to be aware of how current they are when they're flying, and if they're aware that they're not as not not that current, then to add in extra checks, you know, double checking your, your pre-flight checks and and stuff like that, and leaving in uh, extra margins to, to take account of the fact your currency is low. And and of course, as always, ground handling as much as possible to to. Trim your, your ground your your glider control skills before you fly. So yeah, that's uh, that's really the main the main differences between summer and winter.
0: When you've got a, a long spell of bad weather and you can't get out flying, you do want to actually maximise the days that you do get. So what would be your advice for that in winter?
1: sounds really simple but the first piece of advice is remember that the clocks have changed at the end of october and the most usable bit of the day is the same as it always is so it's actually wise to set off an hour earlier according to the clock than than what you would during the summer so if you're used to leaving the house at uh, 10 o'clock then that really needs to be nine o'clock in the winter or whatever depending on how long it takes you to get to the hill the other issue is the decision about whether to go flying and where to go flying as I said earlier your your look out the window in the morning is less likely to be helpful because the upper wind, the actual met wind is, is much less likely to be down at ground level until it's time to leave until after it's time to leave because of as I mentioned earlier, ground uh, ground inversions are slower to rise, and the friction layer that you get, whether the, whether there's an overnight ground inversion or not, there's always a a layer where the wind close to the ground is slowed down by friction, and that uh, that goes away during the day, or it reduces during the day, because you get mixing due to convection, due to thermals mixing the the upper and the lower air the friction layer is thicker and takes longer to clear in the morning things like morning mist and low cloud are common in the winter they may well be gone by the time you're ready to fly so generally you need to rely on the forecast more than what you're seeing out the window and things like wind talkers when the wind blows, whatever, uh, are very important to, to tell you what's actually happening on the hill. All stuff, of course, it's much, much easier than it, than it used to be a few years ago when we were limited to much more simpler weather forecasts. Yeah, also, as I mentioned before, because the air is stable and there's less heat in the sun, you're going to have much more tendency for the air to flow along valleys rather than up hills and that, that's going to influence your site choice. Obviously, I mean, there is still to some extent, uh, depending on how much wind there is, some of it will still go up and over hills. So probably we end up flying in windier days than what we would in the, in the summer. Because obviously during the summer you've got your thermic breeze to help the wind up the hill. Once you have picked your hill and got to somewhere where the wind is blowing generally up it you'll find there's a much more pronounced effect of the wind flowing off each end of the hill or or the ridge if it happens to be a ridge. So for instance if you've got if you've got a west facing ridge, you'll have a northwest wind at the south end of the ridge and apparently a southwest wind at the north end of the ridge. And that's obviously important if you are doing a ridge run and you get to the end you don't want to go too far off the end of the ridge because you'll find yourself into to wind to, to try to get back onto the ridge again. And, of course, choosing what you're going to do in the day. You know, if, if there is an inversion low down, then your aim really needs to be to get as high as possible, to get above the inversion. That There really isn't any point sitting on a hill below the inversion just blindly hoping that, that it's going to happen. And certainly over the last couple of years, with the advent of lightweight equipment, the whole issue of fly walking has really we've become aware of how enjoyable it can be to, to lose some weight, not off yourself, but off your kit, set off and find some amazing new places to fly. Well, certainly, one thing I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying is heading off on to, you know, maybe pick a 15 kilometre route and just Head off and see if I can get through it in an afternoon. Other issues have been for for actual soaring conditions, assuming that you have found a a hill with the wind that's strong enough. As I say, it's quite common to, to find wind blowing more along the hill. One thing much more prevalent in winter is horizontal rotor. I don't know whether that's the correct term for it, but that's what I call it. Things like when you have a gully that can be maybe 100, 200 yards along the hill, from where you are, it's quite common to have turbulence rolling along the hill rather than, as you would expect it, going up the hill. And issues of, of wind gradient, again associated with high pressure conditions, uh, you're much more likely to have higher wind gradients. And one thing we, we've noticed very, very strongly is it's quite common to have a, a shear layer, a turbulent shear layer, just level with the, with the top of the hill, which even if you're well out in front of the hill, you can find that the wind speed increases quite dramatically just at the point where you where you pop up above uh, above hilltop level. And of course, that's due to a a generally dead area of of air in front of the hill, which is unobstructed once once you get to the level above the hill. So something to be watched for. Well, sorry, I, I, and related to the. The issue of wind flowing along ridges rather than up and over them, it's not uncommon on days where it is doing that to be calm at the top of the hill, but to have a very strong wind blowing along the hill, parallel to the hill. So you can be alpine launching off the top and then landing backwards at the bottom if the ridge is long enough and it's, it's stable enough again something that you wouldn't expect to see in in normal uh, summer flying conditions Inversions it, it, again some of this is, is, is common to, to summer flying but the effect of probably the, the, the largest effect an inversion can have is when the the inversion is close to the height of the, the tops of the hills in your area because effectively, the the air can only flow between the ground and the inversion your wind is normally squashed into that area which means that the you can have very very strong compression at, uh, at the top of the hill and very strong winds flowing round the side of hills basically because there isn't any area for it to flow through between the top of the hill and the inversion and Probably more relevant getting to the end of winter, ground inversions limit the source area for whatever thermals you might get. So, for instance, your valley bottom, if it's below the ground inversion, it doesn't uh, it doesn't contribute as a as a thermal source. And it's only the upper slopes that are above the ground inversion that actually warm up and give you any thermic breeze, orographic cloud is another big issue forming very often late in the afternoon. We've quite often seen days where we've had perfectly pleasant soaring right up to the top of the hill and above. But as the afternoon goes on and the air starts to cool, you can have orographic cloud forming quite quickly uh, on, on the tops of the of the hills. So, yeah, these are all, these are all factors... Issues to be uh, to, to look to look out for really in relation to winter soaring that are well more or less specific to winter flying rather than summer flying.
0: Now, I mean, I'm with you on, you know, how pretty winter flying is. The landscape looks very different, you know, with the trees being without leaf and the frost and the snow and everything. But I hate the cold and that's the thing that often puts me on the ground because I haven't got very good circulation and my fingers feel as if they're falling off. And I think, you know, I'm sort of always glad if I can see all my 10 toes still there when I get home in the evening. So how do you deal with the cold?
1: I mean, really, it, it, it's just a question of lots of layers. <laughs> uh, it's, it's more layers than you would think. I mean, I wear, for winter flying, I wear three, effectively three pairs of gloves. I've got a pair of windstopper inners, bigger kind of like ski gloves over the outside, and then I've got a pair of windstopper mitts that I wear over the top of them and I've recently I've not got very good circulation so my hands do get really cold and I've I've recently started experimenting with hand warmers these chemical hand warmers and these these are excellent in terms of clothes yeah it's just lots of layers
0: another factor is taking off in snow and I've always found that really tricky
1: yeah, I mean taking off in snow, which which again we we commonly do. We quite often walk up the heights where there's significant snow, and that uh, that is one one issue. Even if you're even if you're not doing it in skis, uh, your takeoff technique does need to be perfect, because when you when you're stumbling about in deep snow, if you've got any flaws in your forward launching or your reverse launching technique, it will be punished in snow. So, again, it's another. Another good reason for perfecting your takeoff technique
0: so you were saying earlier about the winter league and um about that it's quite good for setting yourself tasks and keeping yourself current so what what fun things would you recommend doing?
1: I prefer just to go straight for a straightforward turnpoint flight I'm, I'm a bit dubious about the the value of using multipliers for ridge run flights, you know, for out and returns and stuff like that. So I prefer just to use, you know, what we're allowed, which is three turn points, a start and a finish. And the start and the finish, of course, don't necessarily have to be your takeoff or your landing. And you have to do a minimum of 15 kilometres. So that pretty much means that any hill that's of any reasonable length at all you can fit in a turnpoint point flight because you've effectively got four legs to it. So anything that's more than, well, let's say four, three to four kilometres long and then gliding off the end should be enough to get you 15 kilometres. So to set off with that in mind uh, as your task for the day, it, to to me, it, it It focuses it completely that you set up, you know exactly what it is you're going to do. And it gives you a completely different outlook on the day. If you're just out for a day's flying, for instance, and it gets a wee bit calm, then what everybody tends to do is they just slope land and have a chat. Whereas if you've set yourself a turn point task and you've already spent the last hour doing your first one or two turn points then you don't want to lose it all so you're really really focused and trying to stay up and you know you can find a slightly steeper bit of hill and work away at it until conditions come back on again and to me that's that's great practice for the kind of situation that you'll find yourself in cross-country flying at all times in terms of planning a turn point flight on a ridge it's actually pretty straightforward. You start by looking at the ridge and deciding which end you can glide off to get the furthest distance. Obviously that depends on the geography, but you would also want to glide off in a generally downwind direction. So for instance, if you're if you're on a south-facing ridge with a wind that's slightly southwesterly, then you would be want to finish your flight by gliding off the east end of the ridge so that you're gliding off generally downwind and if that's the the end that you're going to finish by gliding off then that's the end where you want to start so you do your start at the same end as you're going to glide off turn point one at the opposite end turn point two back at where you started turn point three back where turn point one was and then off off the end and go as far as you can off and, uh, and then land. And that, uh, as I say, that's a half-decent size of a hill. Then that should get you 15 kilometres. And then it's just a question of stretching it as much as possible. And that's really where it all starts to get interesting because you want to get as far as you can towards the far ends of the ridge or even beyond the far end of the ridge. But you don't want to risk... Going down So it does get a bit technical in trying to judge Just how far you can go And still leave yourself enough height to, to get back to the ridge In order to soar back up again And well issues like transitions Which of course Are common to all all Aspects of uh, Cross country flying For instance when you're doing a Winter turn point flight It might be just flying from one hill To another hill it seems obvious, but it's really vital to get as much height as you can before making the crossing and that you use your, uh, your speed bar to the optimum on the way to maximise your glide, generally with the aim of reaching the hill you're trying to get to as high as possible and hopefully at a height where it's going to be able to be soared up. Timing is obviously an issue. The days are very short in the winter. And if you're ridge soaring and there's a significant amount of breeze, it can be pretty slow. Your ground speed can be five, six kilometres an hour along the ridge. So if you're going to try and fly 20 kilometres, it can it can take a while. So you need to keep an eye on your on your timing because it may well be that the, the end of daylight is going to be what limits your flight, and you might need to use bar as your as you're soaring along the ridge just to just to speed up a bit. Yeah, to summarise, if you you take account the differences in conditions, winter flying can be beautiful, and getting out whenever possible keeps you current and fit, and it makes you much safer for when the spring finally does arrive.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. If you enjoy our podcasts, webcasts, and articles on the paraglider, please consider making a donation to support us with our costs for hosting and also to support us in making great new resources. We've got lots of ideas for new podcasts, webcasts, and articles, and we'd be happy to produce them, but we need your support. You can find the donate button on any of the podcast pages on the paraglider.com, as well as on the main index page. Thank you.